Hey, Nora. You're first. Yes. You know, one of my favorite things when I'm looking for stories is when I find something I think, oh, I bet Kathy will hate this. Oh. And this is one of these ones that I thought maybe you would hate. But the reason why I raise it is because I think it uh, points to two trends. One is the rise of more uh, subscription-based services for niche products. And the other one is trying to engineer scarce goods in a digital economy so that you can sell them in an era where so many things are endlessly reproducible and hence can be put out for free. Okay, I just have one question here. Mm-hmm. What the fuck does scarce goods in a digital economy mean? Well, let me explain what it is first, okay? Okay, all right. Okay. okay, so the example that they talked about, this is from a Fast Company story that profiled two companies. One's called Quarterly Co., and the other one's called The Thing Quarterly. And so basically, in both of the models, you pay an annual subscription fee. So in the Quarterly Co., it's $25 a year. And then three times a year, you get this specially curated little package, mystery package in the mail. And they're sort of curated by high profile. <laughs> See, I knew you did. She's covering her eyes with her hands. Let me finish explaining it. I, I know. <laughs> so you get this specially curated gift in the mail and they're curated by sort of guest curators that um, pick the stuff and they're relatively high profile people. The thing quarterly is more high profile where you could be getting stuff that's been picked by James Franco or Miranda July, right? So they're James He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Um, And while I absolutely agree with you that this is initially fairly high on the annoying hipster douchebag scale, um, but I do think that the reason why I point to it is because it does tap into these two things, is lots of people are trying out this model to have subscription-based things, and two, finding the scarce good, right? If people can get things in zeros and ones that are endlessly reproducible. The idea, and this is something that, you know, Mike Masnick at TechDirk is always talking about, is how do you engineer something that is a scarce good? So if you're a band and your album can be downloaded for free, you know, what you are give value to is access to yourself uh, through your concerts or through, um, you know, customized merch that you sell or whatever. And so I think this is an example of that, uh, that exact same thing. Trend watching actually had a really long article recently, and they've kind of been documenting this for a while, just on all of the subscription-based services that are coming up, like for everything from like baked goods to um, shirts to all kinds of stuff. So I think it's de- those two things are definitely a trend. Will it be successful is a different question, but a lot of people are throwing it at the wall, I think, to see. Okay, but what I don't get mm-hmm. when I was looking at it is there was this knife, this James Franco knife Mm -hmm. that he designed because he does art as well as being in soap operas (laughs) and movies and television. Right. And what else does he do? Yeah. So he designed this knife. It said Brad Renfo forever because it was some friend of his who died of a heroin overdose. The actor. So you have to pay 200 bucks to be part of the thing. But then it looks like if you want to get the knife, you have to pay another 650 bucks for the knife. Mm -hmm. Well, this is an interesting question is how far can you push this idea, right? Like if you want something that's limited edition and James Franco did it or whatever, are you willing to pay for that service? It's an interesting question. I don't know. Will people, will enough people do that to make it worthwhile? But I think as an example of a trend, well, maybe it's almost like they're galleries in a way. 
Yeah, like maybe you wouldn't do that for James Franco, but if you had a subscription that would be like, you know, you pay $200 a year and then you have a chance to buy, like, work by some of your favorite visual artists for a reasonable price that you knew were going to be limited edition multiples, you might be interested in doing that. Maybe you just don't like James Franco. Well, I actually... I have watched General Hospital to see him on it. <laughs> and I happen to really like Dave Eggers, but he's doing it too. And I'm mm. wondering, Dave Eggers to me is kind of inching into the James Franco territory. He's everywhere. <laughs> he does all sorts of great work, but he's everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's another question. The whole question of the Renaissance man and when is it too much. But Yeah, I think James Franco is getting into the too much territory. But I think the fact that Dave Eggers, who has been kind of on the forefront of trying to find different bespoke models of selling stuff for a long time, the fact that he's getting into this, I think, isn't quite interesting. Now, my story, Nora, Mm -hmm. is much more serious. As you know, I've written a novel. I know, and I've read an earlier version of it, and it was excellent then, and I'm looking forward to reading it again. Yeah, and okay, I've been through a number of... Um, steps with it. I've had a great agent. Mm-hmm. Didn't sell. Great it was agent. Was optioned for a film. It's and it has been optioned for a film. Mm-hmm. It still wasn't enough. Now it only went up to three publishing houses. But you know what are you going to do? So I've decided. I'm thinking about self-publishing mm-hmm. very, very seriously. But these are the questions, and maybe some people out there have some answers uh, as to what to do. Uh, first of all, I'm trying to do another edit on it myself. And this isn't like a copy edit. This is a content edit. Yeah. This is something that a, a real editor that in, in a publishing house that you would give it to. Right. After you've already basically done it a, num- a number of times, right? Exactly. Through, yeah. No, it's not a rough copy. It's like, it's, it's ready to go. It's like mm-hmm. what you would take to a publishing house, but then they would give you somebody. It's been horrible doing that on my own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the questions that I'm asking myself is, should I be hiring somebody to do that? Mm-hmm. But I've been told it costs $20,000. Whoa. Anywhere between fifteen dollars and $20,000. That is a a lot lot of money. Yeah. And that is something that traditionally publishing houses used to offer authors would be that. Now, have you had any experience like that with the editing process with your book? Obviously, there's an an editor in the the publishing house, right? So that's the advantage that you get with going with a, a regular publisher. But, I mean, the thing that I find so much about the nature of the way the industry is contracting is... Increasingly, it's hard to get a book deal unless you already have all of the stuff in place, like a following, a high profile, all this other kind of stuff, like a history, a track record. That Why, at that point, do you really need a publisher? If you already have all this stuff that's going to make it easy for it to sell, then maybe you should already be self-publishing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Then that's the challenge, but I think, that... But that's the, the thing, though, is, is that, that I'm really, really facing now is, is that, okay, like, I've spent almost five years of my life doing this. Okay, so let's suppose I do go and hire the content editor. Right. Although I don't think I can afford it, but let's suppose I do. Then, okay, so I I take it online. Then there's that whole business of how do you get an audience? It's like the damnable blog. How do you, Mm -hmm. do you have to go out then and hire a social media company Mm -hmm. to do that? And what would they do for you? Like, I can see that it would be worth it if they could guarantee you that they would get you the same kind of coverage that a really good publicist would get you Mm -hmm. in the real world. But can they do that? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are people who are really good at their jobs, 
as social media strategists, and I could see why social media strategy is important for businesses or for institutions or governments, but how is that important to an individual? When what people want in that sort of social media thing is they want to feel like they have a connection to Kathy Bond. They don't want to feel like they have a connection to Kathy Bond's social media strategist. No, but it would be in such a way that somebody would be able to take me at my Facebook, my blog, be able to push it right to the very top of Google. Anytime somebody would hit, like, new Canadian writer, new book, also figure out ways to um, get you on Amazon, drive up. I don't know how they do this. I don't have the slightest idea. Mm -hmm. But, like, Amazon chapters, all those things, be able to position you in those stores. Mm -hmm. And But how much do they cost? I, I was reading about this a while ago about... Um, some self-published authors who've been really successful. There's that guy, um, John Locke, an older guy. Yeah. And this woman called, I think I sent you a link to her thing a couple months ago, Amanda Hawking, who's like 27 yeah. or yes, whatever. Yes, yeah. And the thing, that, the thing that really strikes me about those success stories is that they're people who write in a particular genre of fiction. The guy, John Locke, writes uh, crime stories and westerns. And yeah. the woman writes the sort of vampire romance type mm -hmm. of things. So it seems to me that they are really well positioned for building up that online following. It's it's a kind of a, like a type of thing that already has big fans, right? Like you, if then, yeah. so there's an easy sort of product to communicate and for people to spread the message about, oh, I read this great new book, da da da, and here's a link. Whereas, what is the community around somebody who's writing literary fiction? But that's the thing. Can it's like, you, is there somebody out there who can connect you to that group? Yeah. Well, there. I mean, I guess there are things like Goodreads and stuff like that. There are online yeah. homes to that. But it's re it is really super challenging, I think, especially if you are not a genre writer like that. It's fine. It's fine. But this is something that actually I look forward to sort of like talking to you and maybe hearing something back from the gang out there about what to do with it. And I'll sort of keep you posted yeah. As, yeah. as things keep going. I would love to see what happens. And I think that, you know, the challenge is not like the blogging part, right? It's not the actual putting the content out there because as a writer, that's what you're good at. Yeah, it's that's all fine. the other sort of stuff that goes along with it. Okay, how do I go and find the blogs that I should, you know, see if they will link to me and all that other kind of exactly, stuff? Exactly, exactly. We've been so appallingly bad at with the sniffer. <laughs> but we're working on getting better. That's right. Okay, and uh, like that's that. it. This was a serious episode this time. It was. Well, no, not really. Not your story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. My story was stupid. <laughs> it wasn't stupid. No, we, we figured it out. Come to our uh, snappy redesign blog for links to these stories and more and uh, tell us what you think. The sniffer dot net. Nah. <laughs> Bye. Bye.